Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, and welcome once again to History Dweebs. I am Tim, and the topic of our podcast today is the Moore's Murders which occurred in England back in the 1960s. And uh, it was a couple of England's most infamous um, serial killers, Ian Brady and Myra Henley. So we're going to get into their dastardly deeds. But before we do, let me introduce our panel. I'm joined, um, as always, by the very lovely and talented, the um, Queen Amin, the Mistress of the Macabre, the Empress of Evil, Satan's dirty little secret, Brandy. The devil. How are you, Brandy? I'm okay, Timmy. How are you? Um, I'm hanging in there. <laughs> yeah, you're having a rough day. Yeah, or a bad week, but it's okay. So, so how are you feeling? What, what's giving you a bad week, Timmy? Well, I'm just having mental health issues. Well, aren't we all? Yeah, I'm not all. allowed to say that. Uh, You're not allowed to say that. <laughs> no. Are we violating some kind of HIPAA thing by... Discussing it? No, I think you're allowed to discuss your own issues. Oh, okay. You can't discuss other people's <laughs> well, Okay, I didn't want to tell people about your peculiarities, but... Okay, and we've discussed this off the air. You're a grown man talking, calling yourself the hawk and the colonel in the third person. You're not allowed to point out other people's oddities. Is that fair, Brandy? I, it's, yeah, I think it's pretty fair. Well, while that, while that might all well be true, Timmy, that does not make you two any less peculiar. I'm not peculiar. My shit's straight. I am not peculiar. She says she's not peculiar? I'm, as, I'm quirky. As my friend Bill Shakespeare once pointed out, thou dost protest too much. No, I'm not protesting at all. I'm saying I'm quirky. I believe she's protesting, Timmy. It's a part of her charm. Okay, I'm also joined, as you can tell... He yeah. talks before he's allowed to talk. He does before people know he exists. We're going to get like a, give him a mic that we can turn on and off. Um, we are joined, as always, by the very uh, talented, the very uh, honorable and distinguished, the uh, most dangerous man in podcasting today, Colonel Charles Beauregard Hawkwaters III, affectionately known as the Southern Gentleman. How are you today, Colonel? Could not be any better, Timmy. Could not be any better. Are you excited about this podcast? I'm excited about this podcast. I want uh, Brittany and Nicole, uh, you little team devil varmint, you. Uh, you She's your a pictures, very nice Your lady. picture's on the way. Um, Who so affectionately th- refers to him as the Southern Gentleman? <laughs> <laughs> I've always wondered. <laughs> that would be again, my mama. Again, it's his self. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
lovingly. Um, he lovingly refers to himself that way. So and I, and I, I'm, I'm gonna give a quick shout out to well, Charlie. Wait a minute, with, with Brittany Nicole, you sent her, you, you. Did I something. did send Brittany, Brittany Nicole, her picture, uh, of me and my faithful sidekick Rude Baker. Um, Brittany, Brittany is so sweet. She had offered to contribute to our Patreon page. Um, and but I told her that we decided that we were not going to accept donations right now because uh, well we're all three independently wealthy <laughs> clearly <laughs> we're not going to charge people for this crap <laughs> it, it, I, you know it's I could see right. I could see us taking five dollars and have the FCC come down on us yeah too. yeah um, so thank you Brittany it was very sweet of you uh, for your offer but. Um, we we decided at this point we're not going to pursue uh, donations, but um, unless Bill Gates is out there and wants to give you know us a million dollars or something, then we might reconsider. Yeah, we might reconsider. Um, another one, Charlie, uh, who you know I, I liked your comment, Charlie's Charlie. My favorite person. Yeah, Charlie. He's my favorite. Brandy, person. the greatest woman ever, and Chuck. <laughs> Charlie, and um, she has her podcast, which is And uh, I listened unblocked. to one last night. It's very good. Uh, I listened to it as well. It was uh, Now, this was a bunch of moms sitting around talking about books for kids. Mm-hmm. And but she has if, different topics. If I, yeah, no, I only had time to listen to one. Mm-hmm. Um, talking about books for kids? Kids. To get some suggestions for reading materials? I did, actually. Well, you should get this, on it. Where the wild things Harry are. Potter it's right thing up your and, alley. Yeah. Yeah. But no, it was actually it was actually she has she has a, a very good voice for podcasting. Her sounds far better than ours. Yeah, I know. We were talking about microphones, and they we got a more expensive microphone, but our sound sucks. Well, I think we're we're doing it in this echo chamber in here, but uh, um, but anyway, the devil's uh, den. Yeah, the devil's <laughs> den. That's what it's, it's. It's a devil's cave. It's yeah. a devil cave. Yeah. And uh, oh my gosh. Well, it's you know what it's like. It's like uh, that trip down to the River Hades, mm-hmm. you know, River Sticks or Dante's Inferno. The River or, Sticks, you dill hole. No, Hades. River Sticks is in Hades. Yeah, but it's not the River Hades. No, down the trip down to the river, in Hades. Yeah, totally not what she said, but that's okay. Sticks. But anyway, you two seem to be. Charlie has a very good podcast. It's called she has a lo- and a lovely voice, and I don't. I think she'd be a good replacement for the devil. Well, she would. That's hurtful. That's <laughs> no. so hurtful. Of course, almost anyone would. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. Especially <laughs> when I'm so close to death. That's so hurtful. Well, that's why we need a de- replacement. I mean, we got a devil. I the don't, show must go on. I don't want you to die. I got to say that. I got to be. Although we got frank. some really great ratings when Brandy was out. We did? Yeah. We did any nice comments? Really? It seems like that's when we get to five stars on iTunes. Yeah, Tim. it does. There's a rash of them. So, um, okay, so, so that's that's my shout outs. I do have now. We were lucky enough to get a sponsor. Oh God! And for those of you who, uh, I, thought um, we were, I thought we were done with sponsors. Go ahead. No, now it's February, but you know what's going to be upon us close enough, soon enough. It's springtime, Timmy. Well, springtime. Yeah, now, what comes with springtime for you homeowners? Uh, rain, landscaping. Oh, okay. You got to get your landscaping done. Sure. And as we our sponsor today is landscaping company. Don't mind me, I'm texting my girlfriend. And if you need some bushes planted or weeding done or whatever, you can call the dirty hoe. 
<laughs> and they will come out and do I'm your fly. landscaping. I'm very familiar with the dirty hole. <laughs> yeah, the dirty wow. hole landscaping. They are our sponsor for today. Okay, you got two more shout outs you have to do. You know that. Right? I got my lady Beverly, mm-hmm. who is who is just uh, continues to be wonderful, and I have who? My mom. That's right. Do I even need to say a name? D. <laughs> Can somebody give me a D? Give me a D. Let's don't do that. Come on, give me a D. I'm not going to. You give me a D. D. O. Brandy. Somebody good, give done. me a no. No, I don't. I don't want to play these. I don't want to play this. I will. You know I what? I do this all day. About? I know. Give me a no. Oh, come on, let's get to the plot. Talk about the more. Talk, I want to talk about these murders. Okay. Daddy, yeah, yeah. we hope you're on the mend. We hope you're doing well. We hope Timmy don't try to kill you again. She's doing fine. She's doing better. I also want to shout out to Stevers, who sent us a, a very nice email on the Bricka murders. Um, he had some uh, pretty interesting insights to that, um, which now uh, requires me to put him on a list of par- probable suspects. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he <laughs> had some insider information on that. <laughs> yeah, but you know, he did add some, ask some pretty good questions that I never thought about, so... He's uh we have to do one of these again. We'll have to get him involved because uh, he he had some pretty pretty good thoughts on that whole uh, murder case. So we hope you enjoyed that. Um, we you know we don't usually do unsolved murders, so because um, we like making fun of the uh, perpetrators, right? And always you, you do unsolved murders, all you have are victims. So. Mm-hmm. It's hard to make fun of the victims. Yeah, it's not as good. But also shout out to Celine and Mary Ray and Stephanie Q. Kim Taylor. Uh, Kim Taylor, to Scott, all of our regular listeners, uh, thank you for listening, and um, we appreciate it. But now let's get on to the uh, Moore's murders, and I bet uh, Lady Beverly is very familiar with this. Lady Beverly is probably an expert on this. Probably so. So if we screw up some of the pronunciations, uh, remember we don't uh, we don't do too we don't do well with um, American. Pronunciation. So, yeah. when it comes to another country, we really suck. So, speak for yourself. people in Britain talk funny. No, they, they talk the Lord's English. Did you hear somebody said we had accents? Yeah, Cincinnati accents. Yeah, what is, is that? King's English. I didn't know we had. I Cincinnati's didn't know there was such a thing. Aside from it's, it's a hybrid. Colonel Sanders over here. I didn't know that we had <laughs> Foghorn Leghorn. Besides that, <laughs> I didn't know that we had. Cincinnati is a hybrid. Uh, it, it's a it's a distinct Come on, Cliff Clavin. It's a hybrid southern midwestern accent. Queen Cincinnati is called the Queen City, the gateway to the South. And uh, I don't care about any of so this. So it's a hybrid. Timmy. Lord's murders. Timmy has got the chill of coffee accent. Uh, that would be Portsmouth. Portsmouth, but, whatever. Yeah. One of those eastern <laughs> Appalachian <laughs> towns. Yeah, yeah, we are not associated with chill of coffee. Oh, either. he took offense to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Portsmouth people are too good to be What terrified. does that say? <laughs> Their town stinks. I love you, chill of coffee. <laughs> All of our listeners, chill of coffee, I love you. But that paper, a meat paper company. Ain't yeah. nobody in chill of coffee got the internet. There ain't no <laughs> listeners there. I think we have a few. Anyway. The Moore's Murders, okay? Let's talk about that, okay. shall we? Let's. Okay. If you get started. It's a story of Ian Bra- uh, Brady and Myra Hindley, a couple of nerdy wells who hook up, become boyfriend and girlfriend, and go around killing kids. Not a very cool thing to do. Um, really depends on the kid. Well, not these kids. These kids are pretty innocent. The oh, okay. Moore Murders were carried out by Ian Brady 
and Myra Henley between July of 1963 and October of 1965 in and around uh, what is now what is uh, Greater Manchester, England, which is where Manchester is where. Uh, Manchester is where Eric Clapton is from. No, it's where well, I don't know about that, but it's Manchester United. Manchester, soccer, that's where uh, football team. The, yeah, the football. What they call football. football we call it soccer. Real football. Yeah, yeah. Um, the victims were five children uh, between the ages of ten and seventeen. The victims' names were Pauline Reed, John Kilbride, Keith Bennett, whose body has never been found. Leslie Ann Downey and Edward Evans, at least four of whom were sexually assaulted. Again, Keith Bennett's body has never been found, so we're not sure about them. Um, the, bot, the murders are so named more murders because two of the victims, the first two victims, were discovered in graves dug on the Saddleworth Moors uh, outside of, uh, of Manchester. And it's a desolate kind of... I don't know if you went on the internet and looked at the pictures of the place. It's kind of desolate. It's, it's, it's cool looking. I would love to visit there, but uh, it's, it is also kind of creepy looking. It's just kind of out, in, out of the city. and Anyway, it's like desert. or I mean, it's just... The only thing I know about this thing is the 10 pages of stuff you just handed <laughs> me when I walked in the door. Thank so. you. Thank you, Colonel. Uh, anyway, um, the th- third grave was discovered in that area in 1987, 20 years after um, Henley and Brady were uh, convicted of the murders. So, uh, and as I said, the body of the fourth victim, Keith Bennett, um, he's also suspected of being buried there, but uh, despite repeated searches, uh, it, his body has never been recovered. So let me tell you a little bit about Ian Brady. Um, Ian Brady was born in Glasgow, Scotland, um, to Margaret Peggy Stewart, and grew up in a tough slum neighborhood uh, of Gorbals. And again, forgive me if I'm not pronouncing this right, uh, Peggy was a single mom, which meant Ian was a... Bastard. God. <laughs> Uh, and I'm guessing, I haven't seen this script, but I'm guessing along the line he got a stepfather to beat the hell out of him. Uh, maybe. Um, so uh, Peggy was a tea room waitress. And I know you've waited and uh, been a waitress in a tea room before. I have been a waitress in a he tea room. He was working as a waitress in a tea room yeah. bar <laughs> when we met him. When you first met me. Yes. Yeah. But even knew I knew I'd have a bet, knew I'd have a much better life. Yeah, either either with or without us. Without you, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Peggy Stewart worked as a tea room waitress and found it difficult bringing up a child on her own, and um, she really hoped to spare Sonny and the stigma of being, being a bastard, being illegitimate. This was, you know, again early '60s, so that was, there was a social stigma attached to being. Um, Illegitimate, not illegitimate, but being. I see. When I go to the flea market and I see coach purses, yeah, I'm pretty. You better grab them. They're illegitimate to me. Yeah, they're not illegitimate. But when I see kids, even though one's a little bastard, yeah, he's still a legitimate kid. Yeah, I I know. I don't like. I mean, that's a legit. They're right there. It's it's a legit kid. I don't like. I don't like the term either. But it's just. I like the term bastard. There ain't nothing wrong with that. But illegitimate just don't make no sense. Put on your own children. Yeah. I don't like like either term. But anyway, so um, she gave young Ian up to um, 
a family, the Sloan family, who lived nearby, and they, they kind of took him in and adopted him as their own. Uh, Ian's father has never been identified, his real father. Uh, Peggy Stewart, his mom, claimed that uh, his father was a journalist who died a few months <clears throat> before he was born. Um, early on, uh, Ian showed some troubling signs of dysfunctional behavior and moodiness. Uh, when he could not have his way, he would throw violent tantrums, which sometimes ended him with him, with him banging his head against the wall. Sounds like the devil. Yeah, sounds like her on a good day. Yeah, on a good day. Uh, his mom occasionally, uh, Peggy occasionally would come visit her son and indulge him with gifts. Uh, and Ian soon kind of put figured it out, put two and two together, and realized that Peggy was really his mother, and that um, made him act out even more and uh, it kind of become known around the neighborhood that that was the case and uh, he was kind of ostracized because of it um, and the more he was ostracized the more unsociable he became um, he just was he kept to himself um, he seemed to resent the fact that his he was born out of wedlock and he began kind of being a a rebel, um, and he wasn't. Um, he didn't. He didn't feel he was bound by the same rules as, a, as others. Kind of again, like a friend over here, Tom. Well, there's two sets of rules, Timmy. One, I'm, I'm, I'm a one percenter, Timmy. <laughs> yeah, you are. No, you are. You are not. <laughs> He's one percent, all right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> not too many colonel people go around and call himself the colonel. So he's, he's, he's a rare breed. Colonel Hawk. At school, uh, young Ian was a bright student, and he was handsome and a well-dressed boy, but he was not very well-liked. At the age of 11, he passed his entrance exams to get into Shawlands Academy, which I guess was a pretty good school, but he never uh, realized his potential. He was lazy and would not apply himself, and he was misbehaved. Again, sounds like the devil. Uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty much it's pretty much a bio of her so far. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, he started <clears throat> sm- he started smoking and virtually gave up on schoolwork. Now he developed a fascination with Nazi Germany, Nazi pageantry, and Nazi symbolism. He often asked other boys for souvenirs from their fathers who fought in the war, and so he became obsessed with the Second World War, especially with the. Um, uh, Nazi side and whenever they play little war games uh, he always insisted on being the German so mm, Hmm. sweet guy Uh, it was around this time that he became known for his perverse and sadistic tendencies including bullying smaller children and torturing animals in a variety of grotesque ways do you say bullying or boiling 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 Bullying. Look, I'm barely going to get through this podcast, so if you give me a break, I'd appreciate it. Well, no, I just, I honestly didn't know what you said. Bullying. Yes. Okay, thank you. By the time he was younger, Touchy. he had uh, brought before the juvenile courts for inc- incidents of robbery and housebreaking. So he got in trouble early on. On his first two occasions, he was given probation, but on the third, he was deemed incorrigible. And the court ordered him to leave Glasgow and live, go to live with his mother. She had since moved to Manchester and married an Irish laborer named Patrick Brady. In November of 1954, two months 
before his 17th birth, birthday, Ian left the Sloan household and traveled down to join his mother and her new husband. Now, he didn't get along with his stepfather, but he took his stepfather's last name of Brady and used it as his own. Uh, so he was a young Scot exiled in an English city. Uh, so that compounded his feelings of isolation and hostility. So he, he, his hostility began to manifest itself in other ways. He would spend hours in his room reading and listening to music. He developed, and it sounds like every other teenager I've ever known, he developed an interest in writing uh, of the Marquis de Sade. Of course, Brandy is very familiar with his writings. Mm -hmm. And Frederick Nietzsche. Um, He became increasingly enamored with the philosophy, with a philosophy that championed cruelty and torture, and the idea that the superior creatures had the right to control and destroy, if necessary, weaker ones. Now, I know you... you, It's Darwinism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you supply to that. You, you, uh, I, I'm an adherent to that uh, philosophy, yeah. Timmy, that, you know, the, the weak perish and the strong shall survive. Darwin. Hmm? Well, Brady avidly collected books about torture and sadomasochism. Sadomasochism? <laughs> Thank you. Girl. There we go. And other uh, paraphernalia relating to domination and servitude. Again, the devil. Yeah, so Saturday night. About this mm-hmm. time, uh, he worked at a butcher's as a butcher's assistant. So we got all these serial killers worked as butchers at one time or another. I think he just rounded up all the butchers and like uh, <laughs> yeah, just question them. Just, <laughs> just randomly lock up half of them. Yeah, and you probably, probably stop probably, a lot of crimes. You probably yeah. would. Um, and some people have commented that it was his, his experience as a butcher um, that kind of led to his. Um, Fascination with mutilation. Oh, Fascination that. with mutilation. Yeah. Excellent. He uh, also <coughs> began uh, to start to drink heavily as a teen uh, and frequently go to the cinema. Uh, and he often found that he needed a little extra cash for that, so he took on some new habits. He also gambled at, on horse races. So in order to support his gambling and his drinking habit and his cinema habit, I guess, um, the young man resorted to thieving. And he Thievery. Was, yes. He had been convicted several more times uh, for uh, stealing and robbing, and he was arrested for an incident of public drunkenness, which, you know, I, again... He's like 14. Sounds like Brittany, doesn't it? Doesn't it sound a lot like, like Brittany, yeah. yeah. Um, we miss you, Brittany, wherever you're at. Um, he was sentenced to two years um, at a reform school, uh, and then later he has spent a bit of time at Strange Ways Prison. I, I'm not I'm not sure about you, but I don't want to spend any time at Strange Ways Prison. No, that doesn't no. sound appealing at all. Well, I don't know, though, because I do not want to spend any time at the Normal Ways Prison. Yeah, either one, but Strange Ways <laughs> is not, does not sound appealing at all to me. Uh, while incarcerated, uh, Brady learned illegal techniques for acquiring money, and entertained grandiose fantasies of becoming a big-time criminal, pulling off lucrative bank heists. He hoped to avoid manual labor, well, don't we all? Yeah. <laughs> Colonel, you've successfully done that. I much. have done that my entire life, Jimmy. <laughs> yeah, and aimed to appear respectable, um, so he studied bookkeeping. Uh, he there went, we go. He, uh, he went through you know, long stretches of unemployment, 
He worked as a laborer uh, at a, in a brewery in 1958. Uh, again, after he, after that, he was unemployed for several months. He eventually found a job as a stock clerk in a place called Millward's Merchandising, and this would be important because about two years later at that job in January 1961 is when he would meet Myra Henley, who had been hired at Millward's as a shorthand typist, and we'll talk a little bit about her in a minute. So that's where they kind of, you know, they met. Um, uh, for 12 months after he met Myra, though, that he, he was really not interested in her. He was a little aloof. Uh, but she had the hots for him. playing hard to get. He was, but she had the hots for him. Tramp. Uh, so at a Christmas party, uh, office Christmas party, uh, relaxed after, uh, after relaxing to a few drinks, he finally asked Henley out for a date. So, and there's office, uh, office Christmas parties. I know. So let me talk a little bit about Myra, and then we'll get into their dad. Brandy will get into their dastardly deeds. Myra Henley was born on July 23rd, 1942. Uh, she was born on July 23rd, Colonel. Her mama was pregnant during the holiday. No, they conceived during the holiday. They had a good old time during the holidays. Yeah, they were probably banging at uh, Thanksgiving or so. Maybe mm. for first of the July? Summer. Yeah, well, yeah. Seven months, take them back. I don't, I don't know, devil. Was they doing no, that? I don't yeah, know. It's that too makes, much for me to figure yeah, out. Halloween. Right She's a Halloween baby. Yeah. So anyway, um, she was born to a working-class family in Manchester, England. She was the daughter of Nellie and Bob Henley. Uh, her mother and her father, uh, her father, uh, her mother and her alcohol- alcoholic father beat her regularly as a young child. There you go. She probably had to come. Well, no, it was regularly. Like they had it scheduled. I think. Yeah, yeah. every Thursday, every yeah. one for yeah. Saturday. Yeah. Every Tuesday, Thursday, ten to two. The small house the family lived in was in such poor condition um, that uh, Myra and her parents had to sleep in the only bedroom. So that had to put a cramp in your style. She slept in a single bed next to her parents' double bed. Oh, she probably saw some ugly, ugly Mm. deeds there. Yeah, it's probably... Mm -hmm. Probably was not a pretty... Uh, the family rooms, uh, family living conditions deteriorated further when uh, Myra's sister, Maureen, was born in 1946. Shortly after uh, after the birth, Myra, then age five, was sent by her parents to live with her grandmother who lived nearby. A lot of people made a lot of... Uh, I've read some stuff where they made a big point about this, like this was the tor- turning point when she was sent away. But I saw a documentary where her grandmother lived like right across the street, so it wasn't like she was, you know, being sent off to, you know, right, you know, Siberia, yeah, or someplace. Myra's father had fought in North Africa, in Cyprus, and Italy during the Second World War. He had served with a parachute regiment. I'm not sure why that's relevant, but he was known as a uh, as a hard man and expected his daughter to be equally as tough. He taught her how to fight and insisted that she stick up for herself. When Myra was eight years old, a local boy approached her on the street and uh, scratched her on her cheeks with uh, with his fingernails, drawing blood. She, she well, yeah, but she started crying. She ran to her parents' house, and uh, her father saw that. He demanded that she go punch the boy because if, he told her if he didn't, uh, if she didn't go hit the boy, he was going to lather her, which uh, I guess means to beat. He's going to light her ass. Beating, yeah, yeah. 
so um, she found a boy and succeeded in knocking him down uh, with a sequence of punches and kicking him in the scrotum. Ah! But and now see why we got to bring this into it. I'm just saying. And her father, you know, he was proud of her. And at eight years old, uh, Myra had her first victory. Air quotes there. There you go. Um, so, a quick question, Doug. Mm-hmm. Not to get down a rabbit hole, but, uh, you know, and, and I hear about these people. You ever teach your kids how to fight? Do I ever teach my children how to fight? Yeah. I've taught my children how to defend themselves. I have I have not taught my kids. I had three boys. I have never taught them how to fight. They, I guess they just like a little wolf pack. They learned it on their own, but... Probably with each other. Never, yeah, that's yeah, true. That's what I mean, fighting yeah. with each other. But I never taught them how... Well, I guess I gave them some tips, but... Clara has, you know, she has a little boy, and, and she's concerned about that because, you know, Columbia's going to be, mm. Columbia can be pretty rough. So she's got him in uh, uh, karate classes. You know. Yeah, I mean, I, my, my kids went through the Israeli self-defense classes, but I never taught them how to fight. Israeli <laughs> Okay, so, um, so she didn't have the best of childhood. She was beaten by her father a lot. He was a pretty rough guy. Uh, when she was 13, one of her closest friends uh, who lived on a nearby street had invited her to go swimming at a local swimming hole on a reservoir. Um, she chose not to go. She was a good swimmer, but she chose not to go with with him and went with another friend instead. And this little boy ended up drowning. And um, she always blamed herself for that. Uh, for that well, it was her fault, really. Well, yeah. Her friend's death that really devastated her. She took up a collection for a funeral wreath, but um, she never really did get over his death. After attending his funeral, Michael's funeral, um, she was increasingly uh, drawn to the Catholic Church, and she began taking instructions for formal reception into the church soon after his funeral. She took uh, the confirmation name of Veronica and received her first communion in November 1958. Um, let's see what else was going on. She started bleaching her hair at this time, um, which will be a, become a big thing later on. Her first job uh, was as a junior clerk at a local electric engineering firm. She ran errands, made tea, and typed. Uh, she was well-liked, and um, so she kind of got along with everyone. She had a short relationship with a guy named Ronnie Sinclair, um, but and they got engaged briefly, but they called it off uh, later on because she said he was too immature. I get the sense that she kind of liked bad boys. Mm-hmm. Um, shortly after her 17th birthday, she changed her hair color again uh, with a pink rinse. Who's that remind you of, Colonel? The devil. Yeah. Pink head devil. Yeah. Um. So anyway, uh, she took a job uh, in an engineering company, but she was fired fired shortly thereafter for absenteeism. In 1961, 18-year-old Myra joined Millward's as a typist. She soon became infatuated with young Ian Brady, despite learning that he had a criminal record. Uh, again, she kind of liked the bad boys. Liking the bad boys. She began a diary, and although she dated other guys, um, most of her data, uh, her entries in her diary detailed her fascination with Brady, who she eventually spoke to for the first time in July of 1967. Remember, it was in December when he finally asked her out on a date. So she, he wasn't so hot on her, but when he did ask her out, they went to the movie and they saw a film about the Norman Burke trials. 
So he again, he's obsessed with all the whole Nazi thing. Uh, so they started dating, uh, which generally meant a trip to the cinema uh, to usually watch X-rated films, and then back to yes. Myra's house to drink German wine and have sex. And I bet it was uh, a sexy time. <clears throat> that uh, sadomasochistic sex. Probably. <laughs> Brady then uh, gave her reading material. Brady gave her reading material, and the pair spent their work lunch breaks reading to each other aloud about the Nazis' atrocities. So it sounds like a very romantic thing. Oh, so they're like skinheads. Yeah, kind of. Uh, Although she, uh, to emulate the idea of Aryan perfection, she bleached her hair uh, blonde and applied thick crimson lipstick. Did she get the did the what? curtains match your drapes there? Or do we know what she did down there? I don't I don't think they did, no. Oh, okay. She expressed concern at some aspects of Brady's character in a letter to a childhood friend. She mentioned an incident incident where she had been uh, dra- drugged by Brady, uh, but also wrote her obsession with him. A few months later, she asked her friend to destroy the letter. Within months, Brady had convinced her that there was no God at all. So she went from being a Catholic uh, to being an atheist. Such it took Brady months. Because <clears throat> I've seen the devil convince people there's no God at all in like 20 minutes. It's yeah. like such it a, a healthy bit. relationship <laughs> yeah. that she's in. She should be proud. Myra uh, began to change her appearance further, wearing clothing considered risque, such as high boots, short skirts, leather jackets, and the two became less sociable to their colleagues, so they just started spending more and more time Leather together. Leather jacket's a sure sign of a heathen. It yeah, is. Yeah, the couple were regulars at the library, borrowing books and philosophy, as well as crime and torture. Although she was not a qualified driver, um, Myra often hired, rented a van in which the, they used uh, they planned robberies. They, that was their big thing they was going to pull off. First, before they got into killing, they were going to be bank robbers. Um, it's good to have goals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they started. She started. They started taking up, uh, spending time at the rifle club, uh, and Myra and uh, Ian started practicing their shooting skills, and um, they bought a twenty-two rifle. She also uh, joined the pistol club. Um, you know, she was a poor shot. Um, and also had a bad temper, which is a bad combination, really. It is a bad combination. And, and really, I'm I'm going to say this, and I don't want to offend our listeners. Please um, don't. Because I know a lot of you are female. But females and guns don't mix. Did you know they Dr. Ruth was a trained sniper? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. She, no, she was the best shot. Like, she, she was a trained sniper. She was the best shot in the... Jewish Army. Well, I go down to the target range, and I will see women down there, and I will see them. Israeli Army? No, I mean, is that where she was? Israeli, I think so, yeah. I will see women with uh, guns, shooting the guns, and I will see them hitting targets about 40 yards away, and I will just think, I think to myself, I don't want to be the husband, because they're too accurate with that. They should not have guns. Okay. Thank you, Colonel. Yeah. Brady and Myra's plans for robbery came to nothing. Uh, but they 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 then became interested in photography. <laughs> can't, sure. be a, can't be a bank robber. Well, we can't we're going to snap some pictures Let's, of yeah. flowers. Yeah, Let's take some pictures of money. Yeah, do some Snapchatting or something. I don't know. Brady uh, already owned a boxy brownie. A box brownie. 
Oh, that's a camera. Oh, yeah, that's one of the first yeah. mass-produced so, uh, He cameras. used to take photographs of Myra with her dog, Puppet. You see these pictures at the Moors, where I tell you, the place the Moors. Mm-hmm. I believe the French pronounce that poupée. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> well, there's, this is Puppet. Puppet. Okay. Her dog is cute, but he... <laughs> He has a sad ending. Oh, we'll get into that later. Oh, they kill the dog? Uh, well, no, they don't. The pair took ph- uh, photographs of each other um, for at the time, would have been considered at the time to be explicit. So, some like, you know, soft porn, it sounds like. For Myra. Taking boudoir uh, photos? Uh, yeah. Uh, it what? demonstrated uh, a marked change from her earlier, more chi- shy nature. So, now, what could go wrong? You got these. Two outcasts dating each other, dreaming, you know, reading about Nazism and torture, torture, and you know, shooting guns. So what could go wrong, Brandy? And they got they got uh, they got pistols. Yeah, they're which, are, which are guns which in are most guns? states. Yeah. yeah, Jesus. So you seem a little cranky today. Myra, why is it got guns? And you're like, yeah, they have pistols. Nobody can understand what he says. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not having one of my better days. So, Myra claimed that Brady began to talk about committing the perfect murder. And he often spoke to her about Meyer Levin's compulsion, and it was published. that was published in 1956. The novel was a fictionalized account of the Leopold and Loeb case. Which we did a podcast on. We did. Which was not the perfect murder. And no, but it was a perfect podcast because it was just me and you. It was just me. Which was hurtful because it was my fucking idea, but that's okay. (laughs) Uh, It tells the story of two young men from well-to-do families who attempt to carry out the perfect murder of a 12-year-old boy who escapes, and they escape the death penalty because of their age. So that's exciting and something that we should strive for. Escaping the death penalty? Ain't none of us going to escape the death penalty for our age. No. Um, by June... Yeah, we will, because by the time we go through all well, of Well, by the time I got my appeals, yeah, I'd be 85 years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does Thailand have extradition treaty? We, we, we got a free pass. Yes, they do. Columbia? Yes. Oh, so you ain't safe nowhere. No. I'm sorry, Devil. Go ahead. So by June of 1963, Brady had moved in with Myra at her grandmother's house in ben- on Bannock Street. And on July 12th of 1963... The two murdered their first victim, victim, 16-year-old Pauline Reed. That evening, Brady told Myra he wanted to commit his perfect murder. So he came to her and said, it is time. It is time. I have figured figured this out. Yeah, the brain trust has put this all Mm -hmm. together. So he told her to drive her van around the local area while he followed behind on his motorcycle. His motorcycles are stealthy, and nobody ever hears them. Exactly. Clearly. Nobody ever noticed Well, plus he, he probably looks cooler in a motorcycle. He'd have been better off on a 10-speed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, uh, let's see. When he spotted a likely victim, he would flash his headlight. That is very, very covert That's not shit. suspicious. That's not suspicious yeah. at all. Very, And then... And then she was supposed to stop in the van and offer this person a ride. Right. Because the suspicion has not been raised by yeah. the motorcycle. Well, yeah. well, here's the thing. With the strobe light on the front. If you got your little Nazi, uh, blonde, had dyed hair Nazi. With the high heel leather boots. The short skirts mm-hmm. offer you a ride. You're hopping in that thing. You're getting in. But she's talking about a girl. I know. Yeah, so you got a motorcycle. I would have got in. I know. But you're talking about a motorcycle with a strobe light on the front, and this is, you know, okay. So, 
Driving down Gordon Lane, Brady saw a young girl walking towards them and signaled Myra to stop, which she did not do until she had passed the girl. How do you mess up? There's one signal. You got one job. One signal. She doesn't seem like the brightest bulb in the the pack there. Brady drew up alongside on his motorbike, demanding to know why she'd not stopped and offered the girl a lift, to which Myra replied that she recognized her as Marie Ruck, a near neighbor of her mother. Yes. Yeah, so she knew the girl. She knew the girl, yeah. Shortly after 8 p.m., continuing down Foxmer Street, Brady spotted another girl. So the first girl dodges a bullet. Yes. Literally. Yeah. She's wearing a pale blue coat, white high heel shoes, walking away from them, and once again he signaled for the van to stop. Myra recognized the girl as Pauline Reed. I wonder a if, they, of her if it sister, occurred Maureen. to them to go to a different neighborhood. Right. They're not, <laughs> yeah. they're not that bright. Yeah. Why don't you get off your get off your street? Yeah. <laughs> I keep knowing all these people. I don't <laughs> get off your own street, go out, you know. Come it was on. at Leonard's Bar Mitzvah, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so so they saw Pauline Reed, who's a friend of her sister's Maureen. Sister Maureen. Uh, Reed got into the van. Because, you know, clearly she knew the woman. Yeah. You know, they knew each other. So well, they probably gave up on trying to find a stranger. <laughs> well, you probably have to if you're just circling your house. Um, <laughs> they were sitting in the driveway. Yeah. <laughs> and he's flashing his lights yeah. and whatever. That's why they thought it was weird. She's offering him ride. The yeah. van's not moving. Um, Reed got into the van with Myra. Uh, who then asked if she would mind helping to search for an expensive glove she'd lost on Saddleworth Moor. Now, here's my question. How, how expensive, how much yeah. value can a glove have? You'd be surprised. When it's, it's cold. Clear, it's clear you've not bought gloves in I, a while. I have not bought Well, but that. here's the thing. Back in the 60s, they wore gloves. A, As a fashion lot of people, stickers. Yes, a lot of people wore gloves like well, that. Well, she dressed like cheap. a whore. No hmm. dipshit. This was Pauline. She didn't dress like a whore. Marilyn Monroe wore gloves. No, 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 no. I mean, she, Myra asked her to help her, right? No. Okay, I'm sorry. No, the girl no, lost the, the girl. girl. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm God confused. damn, you wrote this. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist. To find out if it's right for you. Script. Please go ahead. I thought Myra lost a glove. Go ahead. No, it looks like the way it is written. Okay. That's what it sounds like. Okay. So when the van reached the moor, Myra stopped and Brady arrived shortly afterwards on his motorcycle. Here he came. Yeah, Fonzie. Yes. <laughs> he probably was a scooter. <laughs> he had a moped. Named it Sasha. He's a, he's a Vespa. All right. So yeah. she introduced him to Reed as her boyfriend. Yeah, it's uh, my boyfriend. He just drives around, follows me everywhere yeah. I go. And said, yeah. And said he'd also come to help find the missing glove. Yeah, you know, you another set of eyes. So maybe it was Myra's glove. I, who, who cares? Uh, well, whoever's losing the glove Somebody cares. lost a freaking mm-hmm. glove. Well, I want to know where the other one is. Wouldn't she have one of them? You would think. Okay. So Brady took Reed onto the moor while Myra waited in you the van. You know that problem? Chop off your arm. Well, then well, you need it's like that story. I met a man that uh, complained about having no gloves. Uh-huh. And then I met a man who uh, I chopped off his hands. Yeah. Just like that. Oh, I love that that parable. Yeah. That's a great mm-hmm. story. Yeah. Okay, so Brady, so Brady took Reed onto the moor. Okay, so this girl takes off and with see, this guy. Now, and did no? Did these people not see American Werewolf in London? Clearly not. Stick to the road. Stay off the moors. Yeah. So she goes out onto the moor with this guy. Uh, you know, and you Myra be careful around the moors. Mm-hmm. And Myra waits in the van. You know, in case in case the glove calls or tries to come exactly. back. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, after about 30 minutes, Brady returned alone and took Myra to the spot where Reed lay dying with her throat cut. Ugh. He told her to stay with Reed while he fetched a, sp- he fetched a spade. He well, had hidden. He had to fetch a spade. <laughs> he had n- hidden nearby on a Why previous is that funny? visit to the moor to bury the body. Why is that funny? Because you can hear him in the English, I, I'm about to fetch a spade, mate. <laughs> Well, that's go not it either. God. Right. Go ahead. Rich Little. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Go ahead. All right. So Myra noticed that Pauline's coat was undone and her clothes were in a disarray. Oh. oh. They did the dirty. She oh. had guessed from the time he'd taken that Brady had sexually assaulted her. That dirty bastard. Can't have it. Daddy, dirty, dirty Can't bastard. Can't have it. You know. But you know what? Had Myra been satisfying his needs... Oh, obviously. Yeah. Uh, returning home from the morning, yeah, she got van. jealous. I, well, let's see. She'd be pissed off. Stay with me. All right. All right. So returning, Hanging on your every word. Oh, God. So returning home from the moor in the van, they loaded the motorcycle in the back because now they don't need that loud-ass thing. Well. That'll attract attention. Well, and also you save on gas. Well, yeah. Uh, Brady and Myra passed Reed's mother, Joan, accompanied by her son, Paul, searching the streets for Pauline. With their adrenaline pumping from the murder, Ian and Myra went home and made hot, passionate whoopings. Oh, this was before Vi- Viagra, so he was doing good. They were bumping uglies. Yeah. Yeah. They, they was knocking boots. He, he probably, probably didn't have to worry about getting her pregnant because he's already shot his main 
I think the secondary load can get you too, though. Right. Well, maybe it's third. We don't know where he was at that point in the day. Yeah, he probably knocked one off in the shower beforehand. <laughs> Could be. Uh, Pauline had a short relationship with David Smith, a local boy with three criminal convictions for minor crimes. Police couldn't find anybody who'd seen Reed before her disappearance. And although the 15-year-old Smith was questioned by police, he was cleared of any involvement in her death. Yeah, he comes to play later on in this story. Which so. is which is a question I have for you, Timmy. Do you find that, uh, it's off topic, but what I just brought up. Everything you say is do you, off topic. Do you find that sometimes, you know, you get up, you get ready for work, and some people meditate, some people do yoga. I have found that empty in the chamber is the best way to clear your mind before you come to work. I am so grossed out by that right now. Yeah. I can't even I am as well. deal with it anymore. And so so you're saying... No, I don't do that. I'm saying... That's well, what I'm I mean, saying. I, I'm saying that. It's not easy because Renee gets up for work at 5.30. Okay, the so... The Mrs. Colonel. So, I gotta, so they got away with it. They yeah, got before away she wakes with, up. <laughs> yeah, I got to wake up at four thirty to do it. <laughs> they they got they got away with killing Pauline. He's having an interesting conversation over here. <laughs> I'm so, I'm done with it. You know what? We just ate, and now it makes my belly hurt. Hey. Sorry, uh, Mrs. Colonel, to give away our personal details. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're not. Jesus Christ, we're 50 minutes in this thing already. Right. Ian and Myra would strike again six months later. Their next victim, John Kilbright. You know what? Don't bitch at me. You took forever and a day getting through yours. Some bitch, you got ten pages here on me. All right, so I'm gonna have to do my the next speed victim. Reader. Yes, John no. Kilbride was killed on November 23rd, 1963. Myra approached the 12 year old boy at a market in Ashton under Lynn and asked him to help him carry home some boxes. Brady was sitting in the back of a back of a Ford Ange- Angelia car that Myra had rented. When they reached the moor, Brady took the child with him and Myra waited in the car. She does nothing. She waits in the car. She's useless as tits on a boar. Uh, Brady... <laughs> what her to do? You want her to kill somebody? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Should she rape and well, kill somebody? If you're going to you know, if you're gonna be a part of this little dynamic duo, then yeah, you got to participate. Well, keep going. Keep going. She, <laughs> she contributes. Jesus God. Tits. Jeez. If, don't bring us war and peace if you're worried about how long it's going to take. <laughs> Uh, Let's see. Brady sexually assaulted Kilbride and attempted to slit his throat with a six-inch serrated blade. Hold on. He sexually assaulted a guy? Yeah. A little boy? Yeah. A little boy? Yeah. He's he's an equal offender. He's a sick bastard. Uh, Before fatally strangling him with a piece of string, possibly a shoelace. A A huge search was undertaken with over 700 statements taken and 500 missing persons posters printed. Eight days after he failed to return home, 2,000 volunteers scoured waste ground in abandoned buildings searching for the boy. Six months later, on June 16, 1964, the couple killed again. So six months seemed to be <clears throat> their cooling yeah, period. Yeah, and six their, months. their third victim was another 12-year-old boy, Keith Bennett, whom they enticed from a street in Chorlton and drove to Saddleworth Moor. Myra stood and watched from the top of an embankment while Brady sexually assaulted Keith in the ravine before strangling to death with a piece of string and burying his body. That boy's body has never been found. Again, she's just hanging out. You know, I wonder if she was up there rubbing the devil's button. 
You know what I mean? The yeah. devil's she, button? The devil's button. She was know. considered, I mean, she is really, I was reading it, she, even though he's an evil piece of shit, but she, she is, you know, in the eyes of folks in that area, even seen even, you know. Because more Well, because she did nothing. Yeah. Uh, the fourth person murdered by them was a 10-year-old little girl by the name of Leslie Ann Downey. Downey was lured by Myra from a fairground. The, cu- the couple took their latest victim to Myra's grandmother's house, who was visiting relatives. Brady took nine obscene photographs with her, showing her naked, bound, and gagged, which were later found Ugh. in a suitcase in a left luggage locker. Myra recorded the scene of the child's rape and torture by Brady on audio tape. The tape clearly records the voices of Brady, Myra, and the child, who is heard to scream and protest and asks to be allowed to go home and pleads for her life. It is believed she was killed by Brady. The following morning, Brady and Myra drove Leslie's body to Saddleworth Moor, where it was buried in a shallow grave. The attack on their fifth victim, Edward Evans, was witnessed by Myra's 17-year-old brother-in-law, David Smith, uh, the, the husband of her younger sister, Maureen. The Henley family had not approved Maureen's marriage to Smith, who had several criminal convictions, including actual bodily harm and housebreaking, the first of which, wounding with intent, occurred when he was 11 years old. Throughout the previous year, Brady had been cultivating a friendship with Smith, who had become, who had become in awe of the older man. Yeah, what I've what I've read about that is that you know he first he had Myra that has his you know his gopher type of thing, mm-hmm. and, and that wasn't enough for him, so he wanted to build. It was like David Koresh. Yeah, he wanted to build his little following, and she became very jealous of Smith. But go ahead, I'm sorry. Um, it was something that increasingly worried Myra. She felt it compromised their safety. Yeah. So the like the two of their safety. Well, yeah, she was. She she's was not so much worried about anybody else's safety. She's more she? worried about. She was jealous because he, right. he was bringing him into the fold, or trying to anyway. Shortly before Evans' murder, Brady announced to her that he and Smith intended to roll over a queer. <laughs> roll over a queer, which is interesting. <laughs> that from is the a derogatory term, I think. Well, it's evidently in quotes, but... This is probably in the 60s, so... Yeah, and it's interesting because this is coming from a man who has sexually abused two boys. Yeah. But we're going to go out and we're going to roll us over a queer. Yeah. Yeah, he wasn't... uh, I'm not gay. Yeah. No. (laughs) He's only prison gay. He ain't real gay. uh, Clearly. So on the evening of October 6, 1965, Myra Jerv Brady to Manchester Central Station, where she waited outside in the car again. Mm. She's a good chauffeur. While he selected their victim. After now, how, how did he determine they were gay? Well, you know, because they're all they all have that walk, oh. and they all have you know, you know. Okay. Jeez. Um. Uh, let's see. So Brady went inside and selected their victim, and after a few minutes, reappeared in the company of Edward Evans, to whom he introduced Myra as his sister. After they drove back home and relaxed over a bottle of wine, whatever, uh, over a bottle of wine, Myra, Brady sent Myra to fetch her brother-in-law. A lot of fetching going on. A lot of fetching. They, she, they've done a lot of fetching. He does, he does his own fetching, and she does some fetching. She yeah. does some fetching, yes. 
When they got back to the house, Myra told Smith to wait outside for her signal, a flashing light. So again, when the strobe goes off, be quiet, (laughs) but come in. Yeah. Uh, When the signal came, Smith knocked on the door and was met by Brady, who asked if he had come for the miniature wine bottles. How old was this boy? Do we know? Uh, who's, he was older, I think. He was, I want to say 17, but I'll check it out. You Go, go ahead. Um, let's see. She, let's see. Okay. A few minutes later, Myra, who'd gone into the kitchen to feed the dogs, heard Brady struggling with Evans and saw Smith standing by the front door. She shouted for him to go and get help, and Smith entered the room to find Brady repeatedly striking Evans with the flat of an axe. He watched as Brady then throttled Evans with the length of an electrical cord. Evans' body was too heavy for Smith to carry to the, to the car on his own. Brady had sprained his ankle in the struggle, so they wrapped him in plastic sheet and put him in the spare bedroom. Yeah, he was just kind of killing this guy while Smith walks in <coughs> and, uh, you know, walks in on it. And, uh, yeah, but it sounded like they set him up to walk in. Yeah, they did. Yeah. They did. They so, did to kind of make him a comp- an accomplice. Well, that's kind of a dick move. Well, yeah, they, they weren't the nice, the nicest of folks. So they put him up in the. So they wrapped him up. Killed seven people. So they wrapped him up and put Five him people, yeah. uh, in the spare bedroom. Yeah, he. Uh, I'm sorry, Edward Evan. Uh, Edward Evans was 17 years old. Okay. Um, Smith agreed to meet Brady the following evening to dispose of Evans' body, but after returning home, he woke his wife and told him what he'd seen. Maureen told him that he must call the police. Good advice. Somebody in that family finally... Yeah. Finally picked um, up the damn phone. Three hours later, the couple cautiously made their way to a public phone box in the street below their flat. (coughs) Smith, Smith, taking the precaution of arming himself with a screwdriver and a kitchen knife to defend them in in the event that Brady suddenly appeared and confronted them. At 6.07 a.m., Smith made an emergency services call to the police station in nearby Hyde and told his story to the officer on duty. And that led to early in the morning of October 7, 1965, shortly after Smith's call, Superintendent Bob Talbot of the Cheshire Police arrived at the back door of 16... <laughs> Timmy, now you're trying to distract me and I'm trying to... <laughs> Anything. Of 16 Waterbrook Avenue, wearing a borrowed baker's overall to cover his uniform. He was going undercover. He's undercover. Oh, nice. He's undercover boss. He's a <clears> slick <throat> dick. But as soon as Myra opened the door, he identified his himself, himself as a police officer and said, let me talk to your dirty bastard boyfriend. And she said, I thought you were a baker. Yes, yeah, she said, I thought you had some bread. Where's my bread? So uh, yeah, Myra she... took him to the living room where Brady was sitting psych. on a... Sitting up in a divan, writing a note so like to his employer. <clears throat> yeah? I'm confused. Okay. I think it's like an English cap, love seat. Okay. Um, explaining, he was writing a note to his employer explaining that he would not be able to get into work because of his ankle injury. Now, Talbot said to, that he was investigating an act of violence involving guns that was reported to have taken place the previous evening. Guns? Guns? Myra says, I do not know anything about that and allowed the police to look around the house. She got the vapors. Myra claimed that the key, um, they went upstairs mm-hmm. in which Evan's body was stored and the police found the door locked and asked for the key. And Myra said the key was at work, but after the police officer said, I'll drive you to work to get the key, Brady told her to just hand it over. They knew the gig was up. The gig was up. 
So when they returned to the living room, the police told Brady that they had discovered a trussed-up body and that he was being arrested on suspicion of murder. But not her. Not her. Well, of course not her, because all she does is drive the car and stand around and feed the dogs. Yeah. Well, remember, the guy told her that he went in and saw Brady beating this guy. So Now, as Brady was getting dressed, he said, Eddie, Eddie and I had a row and the situation just got out of hand. They had a row. We had a row. Gotta be careful when you have a row. Anything can happen. I like now, rows of Oreos. Yeah. Myra Those was not good. arrested with Brady, but she she demanded to go with him to the police station, accompanied by her dog Poupee. Oh, we gotta take the dog. To which I would be headed the opposite direction. Never trust puppets. I'll meet you yeah. down there. You never trust puppets. Puppets lie. <laughs> you know, and they they get off when you put their hand up there. Yin yang. Puppets yeah, are untrue. No matter what a puppet says, they don't care about you. Nah. It's all just parroting what you want to hear. Yeah. <laughs> am, am I to continue? Or? Please, unless you want to talk about Charlie McCarthy, please do. Um, Myra was questioning And, and about Charlie McCarthy really didn't need that monocle because he was a puppet. Just Maybe saying. he had a hard time seeing. He was disabled. Maybe he's appealing to that crowd. Yeah. Go ahead, Colonel. Um... Okay, so on early morning of October My 7th... My mom had a Charlie McCarthy <laughs> thing that she made, and it, we broke it with a football, and so now all she has left is this ceramic head, jagged neck, See, all I think, jacked I, up I think Charlie are, McCarthy. Puppets are creepy. Puppets are creepy. Was Lamb that, Chop was creepy. Like twi- Twilight Zone, where the, the puppet came to life? Lamb Chop was creepy, dude. Yeah, Lamb Chop was. And you know what else is creepy? If you lo- if you could if you use lamb chop as a uh, pot holder and she got a little bit singed, and then she just you made her run around screaming that, that she got burned. You know what I don't like is when like the the the, the puppet master you can see them the voice that you can see their lips moving. Oh, oh I hate that. that. I know. Like I'm Madam, sure remember Madam? I do remember Madam. Yeah. I had it. I had. I knew somebody that looked just like Madam. You look like Madam a couple of times when you get new glasses, hadn't you? The Colonel know what you're doing here. I'm not going to... No, but seriously, doesn't he look like Madam sometimes when he has his new glasses? Continue, Colonel. But the Colonel not going to lose his cool because uh, the Colonel read the script and he can summarize it real No, 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 no. Go through the story. They got arrested. They got convicted. They went to trial. They was guilty. They found all but one of the bodies. Um... The end. No, no, come on, come on. Okay, hold. On. I forgot what, what was to that. The dog? No. Yeah. Pupe. Yeah. yeah. Come on. Well, Pupe. Um, <clears throat> well, okay. Myra was questioned about the events surrounding Evans' death, but she refused to make any statement beyond claiming it was an accident. My bad. Now, the police had no evidence that Myra was involved in this murder, so she was allowed to go home on condition that she returned for the next day for further questioning. Now, Myra was at liberty for four days following Brady's arrest, during which time she went to her employer's premises and asked to be dismissed so that she would be eligible for unemployment benefits. Her employer told her politely to go bang herself. (laughs) It's not Um, true. (laughs) So she did not get her unemployment benefits. Um, while she was in the office where Brady worked, she found some papers belonging to him in an envelope that she claimed that she did not open, which she burned in an ashtray. Mm-hmm. She believed they were the, the master plans for the bank robberies and nothing to do with the murders. Love master plans. But on October 11th, four days later, she was charged as a... What? Accomplice. Accessory. Oh, Murderer. 
I thought I asked a woman because I thought you know about accessories. But anyway, now Brady, Brady admitted under police questioning that he and Evans had fought, but insisted that he and Smith had murdered Evans between them. Now, Myra Henley, he said, had only done what she had been told like a good woman. Um, Smith told police that Brady and Myra had hidden evidence in two suitcases stored in a left luggage office. That's like where you leave luggage, not on the left-hand side. What about the right luggage office? Um, or left? Where yeah, be, this yeah. is the liberal luggage office. Oh, okay. Um, somewhere in Manchester. All the gay luggage. Now, the police were asked to search all the stations looking for this, um, and they later found the ticket in the back of Myra's prayer book. Inside one of the cases were nine pornographic photographs taken of a young girl naked with a scarf tied around her mouth and a 13-minute tape recording of her screaming and pleading for help. There should have been no reason for a trial after that. They should have automatically instituted colonel justice. Yeah, clearly. It's the the audio. You can. It's online. It's it's pretty chilling. I have not heard it. No, no, not going to. Um, the mother, Leslie Ann Downey's mother, later listened to the tape and uh, confirmed that it was her daughter's voice. That had to be a hellish thing to listen to. Yeah. Uh, police searched the house and found an old exercise book in which a name John Kilbride had been scribbled, which made them suspicious that Brady and Henley may have been involved in the unsolved disappearances of other youngsters. Now, the police found all kinds of photographs in the house. Many seemed to have been taken on... Saddleworth Moor. 150 officers went to search the moor looking for locations that matched the photographs. And a couple days later, they found an arm bone sticking out of the moss. Officers mm-hmm. presumed that they found the body of John Kilbride, but soon discovered that that was Leslie Ann Downey. She'd been in the, Ann Downey had been in the moor watching the mother as the police conducted the search, but she was not present when the, when the body was found. Uh, she was shown the clothing recovered from the grave and identified that as a, as her daughter. Yeah. Police were able to locate another site five days later where they found a badly decomposed body of John Kilbride, whom they identified by his clothing. The same day, already being held for the murder of Evans, Brady and Myra appeared at Hyde Magistrate's Court with Leslie Ann Downey's murder. Each was brought before the court separately and were remanded into custody. They continued searching for the bodies, but it was called off in November. So now they're going to have a trial. And uh, many of the photographs taken by Brady here featured Myra's dog, Poupee. Puppet. Sometimes as a poopee, and sometimes... Now, the detectives arranged for the animal to be examined by a veterinary surgeon, determine its age from which they could date the pictures to be taken. Now, that's some smart-ass forensic stuff there yeah. right there. Mm-hmm. The examination involved an analysis of the dog's teeth, which required a general anesthetic from which Pope Puppet. did not recover. Pope took one from the, for the team as he suffered from an undiagnosed kidney complaint. Pope, um, Puppet. Now, that word. Now, Myra... Myra, she just became furious. She was beside herself and said, You murdered Pope. You murdered Pope. Yeah. Um, that was one of the few occasions they got any emotional response. Here's a photo her of her and Pope. She's not bad looking. Yes, she is. Is she? She's horribly scary. Oh. 
Not from that angle. But her face is hidden. Now, the trial was held over 14 days in April. Um, There was huge public interest in this. They were each charged. Holy shit, she the ugliest woman. She scared me to death. Timmy showed me a picture. She is one homely-ass woman. And I seen some ugly women in my day. That's an ugly woman right there. So, now, the pair were each charged with three murders, those of Evans, Downey, and Kilbride. It was considered that there was sufficient evidence to implicate Myra in Kilbride's death. The chief prosecution witness, David Smith, um, he was, but during the trial, it was revealed that he had entered into an agreement with the newspaper that he initially refused the name, even under intense questioning, guaranteeing, guaranteeing him 1,000 pounds. Yeah, that's fucked up, man. Your key witness decides to make a deal with, not with the prosecutor, but with the newspaper. Yeah, equivalent yeah. to 10,000 pounds today, and I don't know how many dollars that is. It's about $20,000. $20,000 today. So for the syndication rights to the story, if they were convicted, something the ju- trial judge judge said was a gross interference with a course of justice. Now, Smith finally admitted that he had done it, and... uh they were paying him $20 a week as well as accommodating him in a five-star hotel for the duration of the trial. Of course, they pleaded not guilty. Um, Brady said, you know, yeah, I hit him with an axe, but I didn't kill him. Arguing, Yeah, I hit him with an axe. Yeah, I hit him with an axe. Um, it's done out of love. But the axe didn't kill him. It was actually a strangulation that killed him. Uh, under cross-examination by the prosecution counsel, all Brady would admit was that I hit Evans with the axe. If he died from axe blows, I killed him. Right. But I mean, the coroner know, was saying he died from strangulation. And I know nothing about that. Yeah, I don't know anything about strangling nobody. Yes. So anybody, the tape, now the tape of Leslie Ann Downey, the poor little girl, um, on which voices of Brady and Myra were clearly audible, was played in open court. Myra admitted that her attitude towards the child was brusque and cruel, but claimed it was only because she was afraid that someone might hear Downey screaming. Uh, Myra claimed that when Downey was being undressed, she herself was downstairs when the pornographic photos were being taken. And she was looking out the window, and that when the child was being strangled, she was running a bath. You know, you know she lit some candles right yeah, in the bath. Yeah. You know, yeah, somebody could, being strangled in the next Yeah, room. she couldn't help it. Uh, by the way, 10,000 <clears> British pounds is uh, 14,571 U.S. dollars. Man, the pounds dropped, ain't it? Yeah, that was the reduction. Exchange rate. Yeah, they used to be $2. But well, they, it took them two hours to find him guilty on all counts. Um, Brady was sentenced to three concurrent life sentences because they d- had done away with the death penalty then. Yeah, well, you know um, what? They need to bring that back. They need to bring colonel justice on them. And, and it w- this one would be, I'd have to borrow a page from B- Bad the Impaler on this one. Mm-hmm. You know, Vlad, you, Vlad used to take his victims and mm-hmm. I understand. Um, yeah, because you, uh, he believed that you had to terrify people. Mm-hmm. You know, killing somebody was easy, but watching some, you know, if you mm-hmm. knew you were going to suffer for days. And the strange thing about impaling, Timmy... Mm-hmm. Is that it took literally days for you to die, because mm-hmm. they would not make these sticks that sharp. Mm-hmm. So your weight would just slowly, slowly lower onto them, and they'd be big and round, Jeez. and they'd insert them into your rectum. What if you, you had to pee? Hmm? What if you had to pee? <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I don't think you got a timeout from the things. 
And uh, but anyway, that's what the colonel would do to these people. Yeah, they they're pretty disgusting. Um, and then I let people throw pebbles at them. Um, not big rocks because you could kill them easy. Right. But anyway, but they got three life sentences. Brady was taken to prison and to Durham, and Myra was sent to Holloway. Now, in 1985, Brady allegedly confessed to Fred Harrison, a journalist working for the Sunday People, that he had also been responsible for the murders of Pauline Reed and Keith Bennett, something that the police already suspected as both children lived in the same area and disappeared at about the same time. You know, the weird thing is that, um, unlike in the United States, if, if you've got inmates in the United States, they're not allowed to communicate to other inmates, mm-hmm. uh, correspond. Yeah. They, they correspond for quite a long time. Uh, uh, Myra and Ian through mail. Oh, did they? Yeah, and you uh, asked they don't allow them to do that, but they allow them to do that there. Well, the newspaper reports prompted the Greater Manchester Police to reopen the case. Now, um, this topping visited Brady, then being held at Gartree Prison, but found him scornful of any suggestion that he confessed to more murders. Now, police decided to resume their investigation of Saddlemore Moore, once more using the photographs taken by Brady and Myra to help them identify possible burial sites. Uh, meanwhile, in November 1986, Winnie Johnson, Keith Bennett's mother, wrote a letter to Myra begging to know what had happened to her son, a letter that Myra seemed to be genuinely moved by. It ended, I'm a simple woman. I work in the kitchen of Christie's Hospital. It has taken me five weeks' labor to write this letter because it is so important to me that it is understood by you for what it is, a plea for help. Please, Miss Henley, help me. Now, please visit Amira, then being held in prison a few days after she received the letter. I keep thinking I'm going to sneeze here. Excuse me. Uh, there were threats made against her. Uh, um... Should she visit the Moors, but Home Security, Home Secretary Douglas Hurd agreed with Topping. They took her back out to the Moors, really, to see if she could show the body, find out where the bodies were. She made two visits out there. Um, Myra walked around, walked around. But it was difficult for Myra to make a connection with the area. She didn't really remember it. Yeah, it was Um, like 20 years later. So she was returned to the helicopter and was taken back to a cell. What they should have done... Most of the time in the car was tossed out at a helicopter, but they didn't yes. do that. Yeah. Now, he was this detective topping was criticized by the press who said it was a fiasco, publicity stunt, a mindless waste of money. But he continued to visit Myra in prison, and they kept going on. Now, she made a formal confession to this murder um, 21 years after her previous convictions. 21 years. Now, police visited Brady in prison and told him Myra's confession, and he said, no, nah, I don't believe that stuff. Now, once presented with the details that Myra had provided of Pauline Reed's abduction, Brady decided that he was prepared to confess to, but on one condition, that immediately afterwards he be given the means to commit suicide. Right. Okay. Yeah, I've been okay with that. They could have just given him a rusty can. A spoon. <coughs> a spoon. Spork. Spork, yeah. Um, so anyway... Now, he had a better idea where the body was, and on the afternoon, uh, they, they, he gave them directions to the body. They found it 100 yards from the place where Leslie Ann Downey had been found. Brady had been cooperating with the police for some time. When rem- news reached him that Reed's body had been discovered, he made the formal confession. 
Now, on August 25th, police called off the search of Saddleworth Moore. They never did find Keith Bennett's body. Um, now, following his conviction, Brady was moved to Durham Prison, where he was asked to live in solitary confinement. He spent 19 years in mainstream prisons before he was declared criminally insane. There you go. Mm-hmm. Much like Timmy was about five years ago, wasn't he? Yeah, I think five he's, minutes. he's like mm-hmm. uh, 76 years old now, I think. Yeah, in November 1985, he was sent to high-security Ashworth Psychiatric Hospital. He has since made it clear that he never wants to be released. The trial judge had <laughs> No problem that, there. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> that life should mean life, and successive home secretaries have agreed with that decision. The death in November uh, 2007 of John Streffin, who had spent 55 years in prison for a triple child murder, meant that Brady became the longest-serving prisoner in England and Wells. As of 2011, he remains incarcerated and incapacitated. Yeah, he's still, he's still incarcerated today. Yeah. Um, he, the last, I, I read an article with, from the Daily Mirror, I think, or Daily Mail, I think, in the U.K., that the, they have, the state has spent something like $14 million on this guy. Uh, they sh- Why didn't they give him something to kill himself? Uh, they, I don't know. They don't have the death penalty there, but you, you, you know. But they did remain. Him and Myra remained in sporadic contact for for some time. Um, but Myra fell in love with one of her prison officers, Patricia Cairn. She changed teams. She went to she went to well, team Patricia. What choice did she have? <laughs> yeah, well, they had to have men officers there too. I don't know in Britain. I don't know. Uh, they got bobbies. Yeah, so, but not prison officers. Well, Myra died from bronchial pneumonia caused by heart disease at the age of sixty. Cameras crowded the pavement outside, but none of Myra's relatives were among the congregation of six who attended a short service at Cambridge Crematorium as they were living anonymously in Manchester under assumed names. Hell yeah. Yeah, uh, That's pretty bad when your whole family has to change your name. Well, after 35 years after the murders, a reported 20 local undertakers refused to handle her cremation. That's good. They, they said, should. so the undertakers were saying, uh, no thanks, I'll yeah, be no business thanks. that way. Now, see, I would have thought that catching on fire would be kind of fun, but they anyway. They should have taken him to the Avery Salvage They should have. They should have. Uh, Avery Salvage Yard, throw her in a burn barrel, be done with it. Yeah, and you know, you know who could have taken care of this? If you need, a, and also I meant to mention this in my sponsor, if you need a body buried, call a dirty hoe. Dirty hoe. They'll yeah. dig a hole for you. So anyway, four months later, Myra's ashes were scattered by a former lover, a woman she had met in prison. She, oh, she went all rug cleaning in there, carpet munching and everything else. God, woman got heathenly. Ooh-wee. They, she was the licking lips. Ooh-wee. <laughs> there was what? knocking high heels. You know what? Finish. Just finish. But her former lover. Lover. A woman she had met in prison and had done Devious sexual acts with on more than one occasion. Um, scattered her ashes um, ten miles from Saddle Saddleworth Moor, and then Should've she went. Then a former love flushed down the toilet. Went back home to her girlfriend, where they engaged in more deviant acts what? of sex. Yeah, Stop and, talking. And got her You're very done. excited, and she went and. Uh, 
Oh, I didn't mention Ian is 78 years old. His birthday was on January 2nd, 1938. January 2nd, Carl. January 2nd? His yeah. mother was pregnant oh, during his the mother was big old booming belly during the holidays. Okay, so Ian Brady is still alive. I'm glad you t- you'd be glad to know he's still alive and uh, he's 78 years old and still in prison and uh, I can write him maybe we can be a, he can be my prison husband he can be your pen pal perhaps yeah I wonder if but. they if they just come in and toss him over a counter every once in a while and just use him like a uh, I don't know I saw where he was, <coughs> he was complaining about the treatment he was getting and the health care was poor he he wants to commit suicide you know. I, well, okay. bye, Felicia. Yeah, bye, Felicia. but uh, you know, but I did see that they spent something like fourteen million dollars on his care since uh, since nineteen sixty six when he was arrested or when he was convicted. So, Brandy, what's your final thoughts on Ian Brady and Myra Henley, the more murderers? I, they're horrible people. You know, they're probably, you know, I say this every time, but these are probably the most disgusting ones we've had. I mean, they did it. They murdered people for no, I mean, kids, just kids for no. Well, we've been, we've been a lot of disgusting ones. Well, Albert Fish, but, you know, some, there's something particularly gross about, you know, a tag team or something, you know what I mean? Yeah, the couple murders. Yeah, there's something, you know, you know, you got crazy Kathy, you cut up her husband. Well, you got know, the penis cutters. Yeah. Ain't nobody like a penis cutter. No. 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 But uh, I think the ones with kids make it especially um, gross. Yeah. Colonel, your final thoughts on Ian Brady and Myra. Hill. Well, I got two thoughts, Timmy. Do um, And, and we'd really like to hear the listeners on this. Um, are, are we, if, if you want to text your thoughts to Timmy... Oh, okay. No, no, not text your thoughts to me. Here's what we're going to do. We keep getting asked for pictures of the colonel, and um, and everyone wants a picture of the colonel. Really, they, they want to see if you're white or black. That's the big thing. So what we're going to do is this. I'm going to take a picture of the colonel right now as we speak. If you want a picture of the colonel, you can text me. Do I need my um, okay. I, I, you can text me at uh, Erico. Nope, just at Facebook. On no, no, no. I'll, I'll get my number. I don't care. What's wrong with you? You can text me. Am I well? I can always change it. Uh, well, just have a I'm Facebook. Take, I'm going to take it. I'm taking this picture right now. Have them send you a thing on Facebook. A request on Facebook. You can text me at Erico 7745 That's five one three. Two one two seven seven four five. You can also drunk dial that number, and I would encourage you to do that. <laughs> no, do not. I don't, I don't talk. I phone. would love that. And text, uh, I love the Colonel to five one three two one two seven seven four five, and I will send you a picture of the Colonel. At, the Colonel in action. The Colonel. In the Colonel action. during the so, podcast. Uh, if you prefer not to. <laughs> <laughs> if you prefer, if not you want to, to communicate be that from way, this mailing list. yeah. If you prefer to do it through email, just send me a message through Facebook, and I'll send it to you that way. Well, uh, I what I think, Timmy, is that um, the listeners should be encouraged to on the Facebook page tell them their version of what the Colonel, ju- the kind of Colonel Justice these people uh, would get. I think I that would be interesting. What I'm saying, they should be, should have been impaled yeah. on big, thick poles, so it took a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Um, covered in honey, had some ants and bees thrown on them, mm-hmm. and uh, see, it just takes. I understand it's torturous, and I, and I do I get that. And if that's, 
I get all that. But you know what? That's just, first of all, that's a waste of good honey. What I about say, uh, one bullet? One bullet? Uh, that's No, quick. that's so quick. I know. But then I'm done and I just move Colonoscopy on. Colonoscopy every day without any anesthesia. Well, that's kind of what the empowerment is. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, where can people find us, Brandy? Uh, we can be found on the iTunes. Yes. Please leave us a review. That's how people find us. And on Facebook and Stitcher and Twitter, but not YouTube. Not yet, because not yet, because we've run into some uh, regulatory problems <laughs> with true. the FCC. Um, apparently, with the uh, and 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 I do apologize. I have been working on a, a political campaign. No, so, um, yes, I've been I've been working on. Uh, I wonder if Martin anyone O'Malley's political campaign. Oh, is that why you got three percent? Um, okay. No, so he got one percent. So not YouTube, and you can also find us on Facebook. I, I said Facebook. Okay, check us out on Facebook. Leave your comments there. That seems to be the gathering place. Get out of here. That seems to be the gathering place. That's where people leave most of their comments. But if you want to leave a comment on Twitter, we are there as well at History Dweebs One. Yeah. And uh, we'll see y'all again next time on History Dweebs. Good day. Bye, Bye everyone. Bye. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast. And I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher. Because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait. Is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher.